Um, Wally, our pastor, and his amazing wife, Sarah, have landed in their vacation destination of Rome. They are celebrating their 20th anniversary, so much deserved break for them. And I think they're going to have a super fun time. So here at Walker Harbor, we're going to, I am going to talk at you a little today. And then we have a couple other wonderful members of our congregation that are going to share the next couple weeks. Um, so that's that. Oh, and I'm Sarah. <laughs> I'm our worship coordinator here. A lot, most of you I know, but you never know. So why don't we go ahead and pray? That would be the most important part, I would say, of this morning. <laughs> Lord God, thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for being able to sing together and laugh together and pray together and um, hear from your word. And I pray that whatever comes out of my mouth will be from you and that you will teach us what you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are working through a series right now that is centered around the questions, why does the church matter? And what does it mean to partner together in the good news or the gospel of Jesus? Um, we're talking about what the church is called to be, what we are called to say yes to. Two weeks ago, we talked about the difference between membership and partnership. We said a membership is something where we pay our dues, we receive access to our goods and services, and nothing is really asked of us as long as we keep paying. And in a partnership, uh, which is a word that we get from the Apostle Paul in Scripture, we share together in the work of Christ. We're centered on and held together by Christ. Last week, Wally talked a little bit about what it looks like to say yes to Jesus. And today we're talking about saying yes to following Jesus. And there's a ton we could say about that, probably as many ideas of what it means to follow Jesus as there are people in the room. Um, so what do you think of when you think of following Jesus? You can answer, or you can not. Think about it for a sec. Yeah. Spending time with him. I love that. That's a good answer. Um, a lot of us have maybe grown up learning that following Jesus means things that you don't do. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't say bad words, you don't dance, you don't whatever the thing may be. I'm pretty familiar with that form. Um, some of us grew up learning following Jesus is about what you do in church. So your Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you've got your Bible study, you're folding the bulletins, you're in the nursery and you're singing in the choir, all of the things you could possibly do. What are you thinking? Study. Yeah, study of the Bible, maybe in a group or by yourself in quiet time. Absolutely. Um, sometimes we think of following Jesus as like being a good person, maybe um, exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit is the way that people think of it. There's a lot of ways to think of it. I don't think any of those are bad. I think a lot of that, there's just a lot of truth to it, right? We want to spend time in Scripture. We want to spend time with the Lord. Um, in Jesus' day, there were a lot of ways, several ways to look at what it means to follow God, not necessarily follow Jesus at that point in time, because that's not what they knew they were doing, but um, 
there was a group, a couple of groups of people that we'll come across in our scripture text this morning, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which we have heard plenty about, especially as if you were here when we walked through Matthew. Um, but Pharisee came from the Aramaic word separate. So they believed in personal piety. Um, they believed that eternal punishment was based on how one lived his or her life. So how one lived was extremely important. Be correct behavior. So important, of course, that they built extra rules around the rules so that you would never accidentally come close to the rule of breaking that. For them, studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was the highest act of worship. So they knew all the right things, and they behaved in all the right ways. Then there was the Sadducees. They held to the written law. They didn't follow oral tradition, which the Pharisees did. There's a couple differences. They believed that the temple was the only path to God. So the rituals, the ceremonies, anything that was happening inside the temple was extremely important. That is how you would connect with God. Um, side note, they did cease to exist after the temple was destroyed in AD 70. But both of these groups had a clear idea of what it meant to serve God. They knew everything there was to know. They had strict behavioral guidelines. They spent a lot of time in church, as it were. And yet they kept butting up against Jesus all throughout the Gospels. They keep having issues. In our text today, the Pharisees and Sadducees were testing Jesus. They were asking him what they thought were tricky questions. We're not going to go through all of that, but that's what was happening. And Jesus answers them, and then he and his disciples walk away. They seem to be on a walk. We'll show you in a little bit. They're on a very long walk. But Jesus says to them after he walks away in Matthew 16, 6, and 7, be careful, Jesus says to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread, <laughs> which I think is hilarious and actually makes me feel so much better when I misunderstand or get confused about what Jesus is saying because they're right there and they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't bring bread. He said something about yeast. I just think that's so funny. But then Jesus is like, you guys, really? The next verse, Matthew 16, 8 through 12, aware of their discussion, Jesus asks, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves of, of, for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered or the seven loaves of 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Basically, you had plenty of bread this whole time. It's not about that. How is it you don't understand? I was not talking to you about bread. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Next slide. Then they understood that he was not telling them to be on guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he tells them to be careful of their teaching. There are plenty of places in Scripture and the Gospels where Jesus calls out their hypocrisy, kind of a lot, right? But right here, the word is didache, which means, wait for it, teaching. So something about this message that they were teaching the, I don't know, the separation of the world, person, like, you know, earned salvation, whatever the thing was, something about that is missing what Jesus is actually getting at. And he tells his disciples to be careful. 
So then in the next verse, the very next verse, they arrive in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which we have a map of. So down here in the Sea of Galilee, right, this is where they're spending a lot of time. Up here in Caesarea Philippi is a good 25 miles from the Sea of Galilee. So again, a long walk, but they're walking up there. Okay, so they get there. He tells them, be careful of the Pharisees and Sadducees teaching, and then they arrive in Caesarea Philippi. So Matthew 16, 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And keep going. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is some, a verse maybe some of us have heard. The last time I taught, I taught about a really crazy story that we all skip over, and there's like not a lot of messages about it. This one, there's a lot of things. We've heard this a lot. I have. And I hear the gates of Hades, this is sometimes translated the gates of hell, will not overcome. And I'm thinking about this. Okay, the gates of hell, Hades will not overcome it. And for some reason when I think about that, I hear the phrase in my head, storm the gates of hell. Have you heard this? Right? I don't know where it comes from, but it's like I've heard it a lot of times, enough times that I'm like, storm the gates of hell. Jesus doesn't say storm the gates of hell, but that's what came to mind. So I did something I shouldn't have done, and I googled. So there's a lot of things we do to kind of prepare for a message. You know, we read commentaries. We, like, read other sermons that people have done on the passage. We read an N.T. Wright book, if we can. Um, we don't usually Google, but I did do that, and I Googled that phrase, the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, I can't remember which one I did, but it was a mistake. I found some pretty, I felt like disturbing um, entries into people's blogs, and there were books, and I mean, it was like, I'll just tell you, and I won't tell you who this blogger author was because my assessment of his opinion is not favorable, but this was the kind of thing people were saying about what that means. It says, the church is to be about what Jesus was about. So far, we're so good, right? Aggressively breaking down satanic forces wherever we find them, embodying a theology of revolt, throwing all we have into guerrilla warfare against the occupying army. I don't read that and what Jesus is saying right here. I feel like that's a lot to add on. And I mean, we've seen Jesus upset a few times, but like guerrilla warfare, Jesus is literally on his way to die, to give up his own life for the sake of others. In a few verses, which we won't read, but a few verses after this, he tells them, take up your cross and follow me. So I just have trouble thinking that like this metaphor is a call to violence. And search after search on the internet was bringing up this kind of violent depiction though. So I did what I recommend we all do when we have a Bible question. I called Wally. <laughs> it was a good idea. Wally said, 
I told him my, you know, my problem, and I read him the quote, and I was like, Wally, what? And he said, do you see how when we miss the context, we can lead to misunderstanding and to violence? And I thought, oh, thank God he knows the context that he's about to tell me. <laughs> I was so relieved. And, you know, it was good. Um, so he has actually taught on this message, or on this passage before. So those of you who have a really good memory will be like, yeah, we know. But those of you like me, who have a memory of a goldfish, are going to be like, brand new information. That's how I felt. <laughs> so we're back to Caesarea Philippi. So this area, Wally informed me, was associated with intense idol worship. Some of you are like nodding. Did you go there? She, okay, we're going to talk to Sue and Dave. It, to Sue. <laughs> we're going to talk to Sue and you can fact check me. But this was associated with intense idol worship. And it sounds like when I say intense, I don't even get how intense. Um, so there were temples to many false gods there. Can we pull up that picture of um, the next one? That one. Okay. This was the religious center of worship for a Greek god, Pan. They called the city Paneus, or I don't know if to say it right, but Peneus or something, in his honor. It was later changed to Caesarea Philippi because this guy named Philip wanted to name it after himself. Pan was believed to be half human, half goat, and the god of fright, the god of the wild, the wild forces of nature, and also the full wild forces of human emotion. So rage, passion, sexuality, considered to be unpredictable and erratic. Think panic. Pandemonium apparently actually means the wildness associated with pan worship. And if all of this isn't crazy enough, Brent Clatter from um, the pastor at Harbor Life let me know that there was also discovered later on to be a leak of methane gas in the area. So now people are also getting high and they think it's part of their worship and it is just total chaos. Pan is also tied to Hades, the god of the underworld or death. So you see that cave here? Okay, can you switch to the next one? That's the cave, okay. To the pagan mind, this cave in Caesarea Philippi created a gate to the underworld. It was understood that death originated here. It was also believed that there were many fertility gods and goddesses that would come and go from the underworld to this world through this cave. So people who are desperate, I mean, fertility gods, right? You're, these are gods people are trying to please, would throw things into there and like detestable acts of worship. If you do Google it, that's the phrase that comes up in this area. This cave is called the Grotto of Pan or the Gates of Hades or the Gates of Hell. That's what they called it. So just again, Wally had to let me know, Jesus is talking about a real place. And it's here. So it's a place of chaotic, hypersexualized pagan worship. I'm wondering what the disciples are thinking as they approach. They're on a walk with Jesus, right? And they're like, my mom did not sign this permission slip. 
And as Wally would say, they are wetting their tunics. But this is where Jesus takes his disciples on their walk, which I think is really interesting. He gets there. He says, be careful of what the Pharisees and Sadducees are teaching. And then he takes them here, and he says, who am I? Let's read the passage again, Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now we know where they're at, and it's not just a nice little town. He asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, yes, Blessed are you, Simon, son of, Ju- son of Jonah. This wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and that will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church Jesus was building was going to follow him into places like this. And even the gates of hell can't stop it. In the fall of 2019, I was able to take a trip to Nepal. And a lot of you know that because I talk about it all the time. And I am nowhere near done talking about it. So we get to hear another Nepal story. But I was um, at Zion Reform Church at the time. And that church supported two Nepali church planters. So they were pastors and they were starting churches in their area. And just some long story work of the Lord, I got to go on this trip and meet them. And I was there with Harbor Church's senior pastor, Tom Ellenboss, who I didn't know, but I did end up working for Harbor very shortly after we arrived back to the States. But what we were doing there was to meet these church planters. They had a conference. Everybody got together and encouraged each other, had training, all of that stuff. And we spent a week with these Christians that were starting churches. And our friend Yakub, who lives in Grand Rapids, but he is from Nepal, he went with us and kind of was our guide and telling us what was what and translating everything. Um, he kept bringing up what he called the power of darkness. And he would say it every time we passed by an idol or an altar or something, and they were everywhere, so he said it a lot. And I was kind of like, I don't really know what he's talking about. I really don't think I want to know what he's talking about. I think the, you know, the temples are pretty, and like that's kind of the mindset I had. And some of you are even like, oh my gosh, where is she going with us? Like we're talking about. But I just, I didn't know anything about what he meant. And, you know, we were having a good trip, and that's what it was. But toward the end of our trip, we were in Kathmandu, again, the capital city, and um, Tom, the, our pastor's pastor, um, took us on a little walk to this place called Durbar Square. It's a tourist attraction. Lots of people come and see it. And it was just gorgeous. There were really ornate temples and statues and, like, um, brightly colored flowers and 
flags and like candles and music and it was just it was really cool to see. I did take pictures. Yeah, sorry, I'll show you one. <laughs> My kids like to take pictures. Um, just a couple, you know, a couple. Go back to the other one. We'll get there in a minute. Yeah, that one's coming next. But it was like this this kind of area just with a ton of temples in it. Okay, so like people would come and see. People would come and worship. If you're Hindu, if you're me, you just come and see. You know, right. And so we were wandering around, and we were taking a lot of pictures, and like, wow, this is so pretty, this is so cool. And after not very long, I started to feel really, I think, heavy. I was getting really uncomfortable. And I don't know if it was because we were with all these church planters who were telling us their stories and like kind of felt a weight for the hearts of people who didn't know Jesus and this is like this idol worship place but I don't know I was just feeling really I was feeling really uncomfortable but then so you can go to the next one then we came up to this place um that's an internet picture just because you can see it a little better but um that's my picture it is we see so you see how there's a bunch of people coming and going it was like something's going on inside. This place is hopping, and we don't know what it is. And side note, I'm at least a foot taller than everybody in the country of Nepal, so that doorway for me was like, <laughs> not important. But obviously there's something going on in there, and people are coming and going, and the people I, were with, I was with were like, oh, we got to see what's going on in there, and what, you know, we were talking to some people to figure it out, and we found out this place is a palace, it's called the Kumari Gar. Some of you may have heard of this. I had never heard of it before. But it's home to what they call the Kumari, who is a living goddess. So they take a very young child, a young girl, and then they believe that she is possessed by a goddess and so worshipped as such. So she lives in here, and inside of there is this big courtyard, and people go in to, like, try to catch a glimpse or like to pray or whatever and she just has to like be their goddess I think she was like four when we were there and you guys like it freaked me out like I reacted too strongly I don't know I was just like upset about it I was like how can you just pluck a child out of their life and make it I don't know and Everybody wanted to go in and see what was going on, and I peeked my head, you know, in, and I, I just stopped, and I started crying, and I was like, I can't go in there. This is like, it was just too much, and I had these big sunglasses on, so I was trying to hide my overreaction, and I couldn't, so Tom asked me, are you okay? I was like, no. <laughs> What I said was, and I hope I can say this in church because this is what I said to him, get me the hell out of here. That's what I said. And, and Tom goes, okay, I'll walk with you. And we just started walking away, like in silence, and eventually the others followed. But like, it took me a while to get calmed down after walking away from there. I don't know if I was like mad that we went there. I was like, this isn't tourism. Or, I don't know. Like, I, I was kind of mad. Um, but then we got back to our hotel and started reflecting 
on one, why am I freaking out? And two, everybody that we had just spent our past week with, all of these Nepali Christians who, I mean, it's like less than 2% Christian in this country. They're the minority. I remembered all of the stories that they had shared about coming into villages and praying with people and asking, how can we be good news to you? And then being that good news however they could. One pastor, and I cannot make this up, I promise you this is what he said. He literally goes from village to village just asking for a sick person to pray over. Anybody sick? I'd like to pray for them. And he'd pray for them, and then he'd leave and go to another place. And as he made his way back around and visit that village again, people were begging him to tell them, who is this God that just healed our sick people? Another church that we visited, they found out that their neighboring village was having financial problems. So they helped them establish a banana farm, a community banana farm. It's the coolest place ever to drive into a community banana farm. It was so cool. But they went in and said, oh, you guys, what can we do? How do you need good news? Well, we need money. We need a business. We need a way to support ourselves. And somebody had a good idea. And they came with bananas. And that particular church, they had a little building. It was like, I don't know, a little bit bigger than this square, a little bit longer. They told us that all of their Hindu neighbors in that village, who are supposed to be their enemies, helped them put the roof on their building. I mean, we heard just story after story like this. And it started to like really convict me as I like ran away from the place I thought was pretty freaky. These Nepali Christians didn't do that. They weren't shying away, and they were probably more used to it. I get that, but like they didn't shy away from all this idols, evil temples, all the stuff that was like scaring me. They went, they went to the place for one, but they didn't go with like, you know, we're gonna tear it all down and the gates of hell won't stand. I mean, it wasn't like a violent thing. They came with prayer, love, bananas. They came with good news. Those were the weapons they were carrying. And the strongholds that were keeping people in the dark could not stand that. And people were meeting Jesus. I don't talk to you guys, but don't get a little worked up. I don't think that Jesus is saying that we will be on the offensive and storming the gates of hell with some kind of violent revolt. I think he's saying that we, as his followers, are going to follow him into the thick of it, into the literal hells people are facing, where people are lost and hurting, where people really need good news. We're following him into our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, people, where people are dealing with all kinds of hellish realities. We know what they are. Loss of loved one, anxiety, depression, financial crisis, sick child, a marriage that's falling apart. I could go on and on, right? We know the bad news. 
the world knows the bad news. But I think following Jesus isn't about removing us from the world or from the bad news. I think it is him taking us into the world with him and with the good news. I'm almost done. Ooh. When we are wetting our tunics a little, as we would, might say, because this is hard and scary, these places are not comfortable, Jesus says, who am I? He said to Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. I just think it's so interesting that Jesus took them there and said, who am I? He said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, I am. You're not going here alone. We're going together. And if we follow him there, it means he got there first. Doesn't mean it's easier. We have all the answers which is something that I like to have. But we know who we are following. We don't have to have, like Wally says, certainty, but we can have confidence in the love of Christ. And even hell cannot stop that. And one more tiny thing. We're going with Christ and following Jesus, yes, but we're also going in community. Remember what Tom said when I was losing my marbles? I'll walk with you. May we, Walker Harbor Church, walk with each other. May we, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, be found in the places that Jesus goes. May we join together with each other and with Christ as he builds his church in the face of chaos. May we be the church, an active force for good news in the world. Jesus calls us to follow him. Where is he going? Where might he be calling us to take a next step? We're going to go ahead and if you're able, stand for prayer. And if you're a musician, you can head up to the stage. And if you are Abe, you can grab your microphone. So let's stand together. And I'm going to scoot up here. And Abe is going to lead us in a prayer. Um, you guys can read and pray together. And you can follow along on the screen. Okay. Good morning, church. If we could just quiet our minds and quiet our hearts. And we'll just say this together. Merciful, gracious God, you call us to follow, to turn away from selfish interests, and to take up our cross and follow you. Even if the path is difficult to see or is heading in a direction we would never have chosen for ourselves. Forgive us when we are hesitant to follow, when we hold tightly to our safety and comfort, to our traditions and preferences. Help us to see with the eyes of Christ, with hearts full of faith and love. Teach us to follow without fear, 
knowing that you are always with us, going before, leading the way. Amen.